Good morning, church. It's really such a privilege for me to be able to share with you the message that God has placed in my heart today. I want to start off by addressing two types of people in this world. When you read a book, are you someone who likes to peek to the end before going back to the story? Or would you prefer not to know the ending and to read it step by step? Please type in the chat right now which category you belong to. You can either write skip to the end or step by step. My wife and I, we're completely different types of people. She likes to skip to the end because she says that she's too kanjong to wait for the conclusion. And knowing the ending takes some of the tension away from the process. But for me, I like to take things step by step. And to be honest, when I think about this pandemic, I would really like to be able to flip the pages to the end right now in order to try to understand a little bit more about how this pandemic will end. And can I be honest today? You would think that a home where my wife and I are pastors would have adapted well to these uncertain and challenging times with the power and the grace and the peace of God. But the recent updates about the lockdown and cases have actually been rather dampening to our hearts. I remember Sarah and I looking at each other the other day with that sinking feeling and asking each other, when is this going to end? Because how do you pace yourself when you don't even know where the finishing line is? How do you run this race when the finish line keeps moving further and further away? I used to run at events like marathons and half marathons a while back. And that was always a strategy of how fast you would go at different points of the race and where you would stop for a drink or a power gel. And many times as you approach that final few kilometers, you begin to speed up. And then you see the finish line ahead of you, 200 meters away, and you start sprinting. Because the feeling of knowing that you ran your race well and finished your race well was an indescribable sensation. So I'm not sure if anyone here can relate to what I'm feeling this season. That at various points, we came out of lockdown, the cases were dropping, and I would get excited, I would start speeding up my ministry projects and activities, I would start planning things for my family, only to have to pull it back time and time again. And even though I'm physically and methodologically more ready than ever before to adapt to the latest lockdown, I want to share that my heart feels tired, more tired than I would have ever expected at this point of the pandemic. And so in humility, I want to confess that this was a state of heart that I, I was in as I studied the book of Daniel for this season. But through Daniel's narrative, I remember that God began to speak in the most beautiful and powerful way, deep into my spirit. And I hope that the word of God will go forth today and touch your hearts. And for, for me to be able to share a little bit about what the Spirit of God has been uh, downloading into my heart this season. I hope that it encourages you and it builds your faith today. Because as Daniel and his friends were in an, an ex extended period of hardship, God gave him a glimpse of the end. Just like how my wife gets to turn to the end of the book, God's great mercy was at work because the visions and dreams that he gave to Daniel were not only to give him comfort, but to give a supernatural hope in times of despair, a hope that was divine and unshakable because it was based on an unstoppable God and his everlasting kingdom. 
Now I'm still in my introduction, but I'm feeling a little bit excited already, because as terrible and scary it is to be in the middle of a global pandemic, these are exciting days to be a Christian. Not that not that we celebrate that bad things happen, but it's because the Bible was written by suffering people in difficult times, and the truths in it come most alive in our hardest moments. This means that divine power will be supernaturally at work when we choose to stand on the Word of God in our worst seasons. And today we need to step into that dimension. I pray that the message will come alive to each and every one of you who hears and receives God's Word today. May it bring fresh perspective to see how God wants to move in your life in the midst of whatever trials you may be facing. We're continuing we're continuing our series from the book of Daniel, and we will be focused on chapter 7 today, where I've titled my sermon as Unshakable Dreams in Dark Times. Because Israel was truly in dark times and despair. Their holy city, Jerusalem, lay in ruins, and their temple had been ransacked and destroyed. And let me tell you, the Jewish faith is one that is very much rooted in their land and their temple. They believed that this land that had been promised to their forefathers would never fall. And so when the Babylonian armies came in, conquered their land, destroyed their temple, they must have been left in utter shock and disbelief. How can this pagan nation serving pagan gods defeat Yahweh and his people in the land of promise? What kind of thoughts would have gone through the minds of Daniel and the thousands as they were dragged to Babylon as captives in chains? Is Yahweh still in control? Is His power still at work? Was, uh, uh, is our all-powerful, you know, undefeated God actually defeated? And knowing this context, it's even more amazing to read that Daniel and his friends continue to stay faithful in their worship of God. They had every reason to give up and lose hope, but they clung on to God's goodness, honored Him at all costs, even if it meant risking their lives. They carried a defiant faith to stand firm against all the attempts of Babylon to assimilate them into the culture and belief systems of its pagan empire. Can someone type in the chat right now, defiant faith? Because sometimes we need to demonstrate a faith that defies the culture of the world. And so in the midst of this setting of spiritual darkness, Daniel begins to pen down a series of beautiful uh, and wonderful dreams and visions from chapter 7 to 12 that reveal a glimpse into God's absolute control over empires, over nature, and over history itself. These were dreams that spoke into the darkness, supernatural encounters that spoke a different message of hope in contrast to the despair and defeat that Israel felt. These dreams were so profound that they could give prophecy about the period immediately after Daniel's death, and at the same time, give a foreshadowing of the end times that are yet to come even today. The purpose for my sermon today is not to study every detailed aspect of the imagery used in chapter 7, but to recognize the clear message that shouts at us from this passage, to be watchful of the times, to know that the days are evil, to pray in steadfastness and urgency, just as Daniel and his friends did. And my first focus in chapter 7 today 
is on the imagery of the four great beasts. When we read it, it can be rather mysterious and cryptic and even unsettling. In fact, even Daniel himself was very unsettled by his dreams and visions and described his state of mind in verses 15 and 28, describing that, that his spirit was very troubled, that the visions terrified him to the extent that his face changed color and turned pale. Today, let's read from the passage to try to visualize what Daniel saw in his vision. Chapter 7, verse 3 starts like this. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. God bless the reading of his word. It is interesting to note that the vision found in this chapter runs parallel to the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter 2. But while Nebuchadnezzar's dream related to the political aspects of the four ancient empires, chapter 7 uses powerful imagery that relate to the moral characteristics of these same four empires. The imagery used gives us a sense of how carnal these world powers were and illustrated a clear contrast between the beastly natures of earthly kingdoms and God's divine holy nature. Each of these four empires would rule over Israel with cruelty and evil in their time. And these prophecies would begin to be fulfilled from about six years after Daniel's death onwards. You know, I prayed very hard about what to focus on today. And I felt a strong prophetic impetus to share on the moral characteristics of these four empires as spiritual strongholds that will intensify in the days to come. These strongholds are going to take hold of the world and take hold of the hearts of people so powerfully and yet so subtly that we might not even recognize it when it happens. And as believers, we need to be watchful and guard our hearts because it affects not only our own destiny, but the destinies of those around us as well. The first beast was a lion with the wings of an eagle, and this relates to Babylon because it was a common symbol to represent Babylon in ancient times, and many statues of winged lions have been recovered from Babylon's ruins. It goes into even uh, greater detail to link to Nebuchadnezzar's experience in chapter 4. When he descended into insanity and lived as a beast, his wings were torn off because of his pride, but when he repented, God restored his humanity to him, to his mind, to his body, and he was able to walk on two feet again. The spirit of Babylon is the spirit of pride. Can you type in pride in the chat right now? 
We have already seen how Nebuchadnezzar was brought low because of arrogance. But if you recall all the way back in Genesis, the Tower of Babel, built in Babylonia, was being built by humanity as a symbol of the, their greatness and the greatness of their name and their civilization. The biblical definition of pride is one that is synonymous with arrogance, conceit, self-satisfaction, boasting, and high-mindedness. Pride is rebellion against God because it attributes to ourselves the honor and glory that is due to God and God alone. And today, we can see such an intense increase in the pride of our society, where the rights of the self are constantly at the forefront of every human rights battle. The main agenda nowadays always seems to be how to live a life without any judgment or accountability or reference point. The self has been elevated to the highest reference point and not God's values. But let us take heed that pride was the first sin recorded in the Bible. And over and over, we are warned about the effects of pride on our hearts. In Proverbs 16, 18, it says this, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. James 4, 6 takes it even further, declaring God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. We need to guard our hearts from pride if we want to have a resilient faith like Daniel for this season. And many times, pride can be so subtle that we don't even know that it has taken hold of our hearts. As, I, as a pastor, I want to share honestly that it is so simple to fall into self-deception, especially when you teach and share about God's values so often because it can blind you to, to, to your own failings. And when you do ministry, it's so simple to fall into the trap of justifying that you're still doing good work for God so that you don't have to deal with the things deep and hidden in your heart that God wants you to deal with. But time and time again, I've come to realize that the only effective way to deal with the sin of pride is directly correlated to how often I come before God and kneel before Him in humility, asking Him, God, would you judge my heart? God, would you judge my motives? God, would you judge my intent and my actions? And would you show me where I've gone wrong? This is because spiritual formation is a lifelong process and it has less to do with the attainment of perfection in who we are and more to do with the daily vigilance to place Christ at the center of everything that we do and everything of ourselves and not our own desires. It's a daily position of surrender and self-denial that says to God, more of you and less of me. In Galatians, it says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The second beast that I want to talk about was a bear, and it related to Persia. It was raised up on one of its sides because the Persian side of the Medo-Persian alliance would dominate and the three ribs in its mouth represented the three empires it had conquered, Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. Although Persia started up as, as a small tributary state composed of semi-nomadic tribes, in its, in its era of growth and power, it devoured empire after empire, and it was never satisfied. There was an insatiable hunger and greed to have more, to expand more, to devour more. No matter how much the empire grew, they wanted more. 
Can you type in the word in the chat right now? More. The spirit of Persia is the spirit of greed. And I don't know if you watched the movie Wall Street, but Michael Douglas as Gordon Gekko says this. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, for knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And isn't this spirit something that is so prevalent in society today? when no matter how much you have obtained, it's not enough. Your soul cries out, I want more. And in the world, the spirit of greed is seen as a virtuous characteristics, but you can see the consequences in our present day, even with the effect of climate change and the destruction of our natural resources so that the world can feed their insatiable need for more. Don't get me wrong, it's not wrong to succeed or to get promoted. Daniel himself received promotion after promotion while carrying a spirit of excellence within him. But what matters to God is the heart and motive behind it. Daniel's concern was never to get ahead or to outdo everyone else. It, there was never a sense where he was unsatisfied and wanting more. If anything, he turned away the food and wine and pleasures of Babylon so that he could guard his heart and walk with God. Every success and breakthrough came from God. And I think that Daniel would have been completely all right if he didn't get any promotion at all, as long as the presence of God stayed with him. Are we able to have spiritual contentment in our hearts, no matter the season we're in? Because the moment we start comparing and desiring more, we allow the spirit of greed to take root in our soul. Matthew 6 sums up this point powerfully, saying, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The third beast that I'm going to talk about was a leopard with wings, representing Greece in the time of Alexander the Great. Its four heads relate to the four great generals that led his campaigns. And they swept through and conquered most of the civilized world swiftly and cruelly in just four short years. The spirit of Greece is a spirit of domination and control. And this spiritual stronghold relates to a compelling and incessant need to always be in control and always be in a position of dominance. Today, you see this controlling spirit affecting relationships, homes, companies, political powers, nations. Maybe you might see it in a friend's romantic relationship where her partner wants to dictate how she should think, how she should dress, how she should act, and even control her daily activities. Or you might notice it in the company you work at when a colleague is constantly trying to maneuver and manipulate people and situations, whether directly or even secretly in the background in order to accomplish desired outcomes. Or maybe you might discern it in a person who always exerts dominance over another in order to feel superior while actively trying to diminish the value of others. Whatever form it takes, it causes a great deal of damage. And we need to be able to recognize this spirit, both in ourselves and in those around us, and to pray and tear it down when we notice it. We need to keep praying 
that, that what is not of God will be dismantled and broken. Amen. Can you just type in right now, keep praying. You know, a long, long, long time ago, I remember joining a company where this spiritual stronghold of, of domination and control was very apparent. The very first week that I joined, I was called into the office of the business owner and she indicated for me to sit down. Then she invited the general manager of one of her business units uh, in and she just started screaming and cursing at this man. At the end of the meeting, he was close to, to tears and he proceeded to type out his resignation letter that very day. I sat there stunned and after the meeting, she turned to me and she smiled and she said, Roger, you should be grateful because I'm mentoring you in leadership and management. But I could sense in my spirit that it was an act of dominance where a person tries to rule by fear. And there was a spiritual component to it as well. There were meetings I had with her where she would just sit and stare at this point above my shoulder for 10 minutes at a time. And she would tell me that after that, that she was consulting her medium for strategic business decisions. And I know this sounds crazy, you know, but this is, this is just a tip of the iceberg of what happened in that company. And my point today is that I just want to remind you of the reality that spiritual strongholds are very much at work, are very much a real influence in the world around us if we could discern it and pray against it. The fourth beast that I want to talk about represents the Roman Empire. And it was described as terrifying, frightening, and powerful. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled over whatever was left. The spirit of Rome is a spirit of destruction. And this is a spiritual stronghold that seeks to destroy a person down to his or her core and ultimately kill them if possible. It involves crushing the spirit and destroying a person's hopes until all that is left is darkness and despair. The meaning of the word despair, destroy is to reduce to useless fragments and to injure beyond repair. And the trauma that this spirit seeks to inflict is not a constructive type where it tears down so that you can be built up again. It seeks to hurt you so deeply that you cannot heal anymore. Many wars and genocides in history and even in present day situations cause this kind of deep and lasting damage that can last for generations upon generations. And sometimes you might even see it manifest in a person when they harm themselves physically or emotionally with self-destructive patterns and cycles and habits. Or maybe you might even encounter it where you, you meet a person that tries to destroy another, not just to win over them, but to utterly crush them and their hopes. I don't know if anyone has ever encountered this kind of spirit, but it will seek to destroy everything good in you and everything that is of God. In John 10, 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy, but I come that they may have life and life abundantly. Because in Jesus, there is life. In Jesus, there is healing. In Jesus, there is hope. Can you type this in right now? Jesus brings life. And so if you ever encounter the spirit of destruction, would you invite God to come in and breathe his life back into the situation, to breathe his life back into your heart and into your life? 
Therefore, we need to be like watchmen on the walls for these spiritual strongholds that will rise up in direct opposition to the kingdom of God. Let's take up our positions in prayer and vigilance. Amen. Aside from the imagery of the four beasts, now the second illustration I want to talk about is found in verses 13 and 14. When Daniel had a vision of the Son of Man, and this is what it says. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Amen and amen. This vision is so powerful because it takes place hundreds of years before Jesus came down to earth and was born as a baby. And you read in the New Testament Gospels that Jesus many times referred to himself as the Son of Man, using the same language as Daniel. But even though he was one like a Son of Man, indicating that he was human, he also came with the clouds of heaven, indicating that he's also fully God. Psalms 104 verse 3 says this, He makes the cloud His chariot. And then in Isaiah 19.1 it says, Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud. So Daniel has this amazing vision that begins to point to the only person in the entire universe who would be fully man and fully God, Jesus the Messiah. And in Daniel's vision, the Ancient of Days gives dominion over His eternal kingdom kingdom over to the Son of Man. Jesus is given all authority, all glory, all power, all worship, and His kingdom is one that will stand forever and never be destroyed unlike the kingdoms of man. That is what our hope is based on. Can you type in right now, glory to God. It's important to note that within the short chapter of, of Daniel 7, Daniel emphasizes that it was in the middle of the night three times. It's found in verse 2 and 7 and 13 that it was dark. It was at night when he receives these uh, glorious encounters and prophetic encounters and moments with God. My prayer is that today's message will encourage us to see with spiritual sight in the dark because that's what it's going to take to be unshakable as we approach the end times. We need to position ourselves to see spiritual dreams and prophetic visions that will catch hold of our hearts to live out this season with urgency, with faith, and with courage. We need to have fresh encounters with God that deeply mark our hearts with the supernatural presence and message of the Lord. And let me tell you, some of what God is going to show you in this season is going to unsettle you is going to terrify you, is going to shake you. And some of these encounters that God wants to bring you to, you won't even dare share with those around you because you might think that, they, that, that, that people will, will feel that you've gone crazy. And you're going to be so scared to share it out. I remember the time when I was called to full time. And I was in Hong Kong. I was 15 years old. And I remember going up to the altar for prayer. And this is a story that I've hardly shared in, it, in, shared in its entirety to anyone before, 
but I felt led to share it today. As I was standing up at the altar, I felt the room spinning so quickly. And bam, I fell under the power of the Holy Spirit. I was slain on the ground. I heard God say to me, Roger, I have chosen you. Roger, I have called you. And you will be a priest and a warrior. A priest to stand in the gap for those who are lost, for those who can't stand themselves. And a warrior to fight the spiritual battles for my kingdom in the days to come. And words cannot describe how I felt as I lay there in fear and trembling, in awe, in reverence, and in conviction of God's decision to choose me when I knew that I was unworthy and so unqualified. You know, my friend came up to me late that night and he asked me what my experience was because he had fallen under the power right next to me. And he said that when his leg brushed up against mine, he had to quickly yank his leg away because he said that my body felt like it was on fire and he couldn't stand the heat of being close to me. This encounter, this one short moment when I was 15 years old has defined my life since then. Stayed with me even when I went on to college and university and I started work, I got married, I had children and every logical thought told me not to go into full time but because this encounter gripped my heart five and a half years ago i decided to take that step of faith when was the last time the holy spirit gripped your heart with conviction or the presence of god overwhelmed you with his love when is the last time you surrendered and gave in to god and just said god take over When's the last time you told God that you were sorry? When's the last time you allowed God's peace to wash over you in a chaotic moment? What set Daniel and his friends apart and to have that unshakable and defiant faith were these fresh encounters with our living God. They did not suddenly reach that level of a faith that they were willing to risk their lives overnight. It was from daily decisions of faithfulness and devotion to God that built their faith layer upon layer upon layer. And as we approach ever closer to the end times and we see the powers and the strongholds around us intensify their hold and influence on the world and on our hearts, we need our own authentic encounters with God, not just to anchor our faith, but to discern and navigate the season ahead with wisdom. We need to see prophetic dreams and visions in the dark so that like the sons of Issachar, we will discern the times and respond accordingly. We need God's power to position us on the walls as watchmen for our communities, for our churches, for our nation, for our families, so that our loved ones will not succumb to the fallen world that we live in. If this is your prayer today, can you type in, I want a fresh encounter. I want a fresh encounter. If the message this morning has touched your heart and you feel your spirit hungry and yearning for a fresh encounter with Jesus, may I invite you even to log into our Zoom prayer room right now 
The pastoral team are ready to minister to you one-on-one -on -one in the privacy of breakout rooms. And I pray that you will receive a fresh prophetic impartation that will cause you to live with spiritual sight in these dark times as the days are evil, as the times are challenging, you will be able to see prophetically in the dark. And let me end today's service by saying a prayer over you today. Let us pray. God, we want to pray for every individual that needs a fresh encounter with you. We believe that they have tuned in today, not by chance, but, oh God, by divine purpose. And that as they turn their hearts to you, you will meet them in their place of need. In the name of Jesus, we speak healing. We speak restoration. We speak provision. And we speak protection over your beloved people today. May every stronghold of pride and greed and domination and destruction be torn down in your mighty name right now. Unveil their eyes to see prophetic dreams and visions in the dark, even as they fix their hearts on you. And may it stir up a, a fresh measure of, of a resilient and defiant faith for the days to come. Lord, may you be glorified through the faithfulness and obedience of your people. And in Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Shalom and God bless.